Well, Tina chose today because it is her birthday. I won't say which one. And uh, as Andrew said, it's also her twin sister's birthday as well, who's here. So happy birthday to you both. And, but she didn't realize that today is also the day when the church throughout the world would be celebrating the baptism of Christ. So how God works, it's wonderful, isn't it? So the reading uh, that the churches will be using goes along like this. And it's taken from Mark's Gospel, um, although I have to confess, if I'm really honest, that today is year A in the cycle, so they'll be reading the version in Matthew. But we're going to read the version in Mark. So Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John, whom we know as John the Baptist, came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me, will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the Word of God. Just in that short passage you get the impression that John the Baptist was quite an unusual character. He dressed in a peculiar fashion, uh, you know, pretty rough really, made, stuff made of camel's hair, a bit itchy and scratchy. Um, he lived off of locust and what else he could find, like honey, so he, he was just living off what he could forage. So he was kind of a trendy guy for his time, I guess. And... Strangely, he had this huge message to proclaim and he goes to a remote part out in the wilderness by the River Jordan. He didn't do some big advertising campaign and set up a tent in the middle of Jerusalem, the capital city. He was miles from there in the wilderness. But his ministry 
was really effective. And we're told that people flocked from all over. Jesus had a long way to come from Nazareth. People left Jerusalem to see what was going on. Somehow it had trickled out that exciting things were happening in the wilderness. And in a sense, God was empowering people and sending them to listen to what John had to say. Perhaps they thought John was going to usher in a new period when those nasty Romans were going to be kicked out and their nation would be given back to them. They may have gone for the wrong reasons and when they got there, they were confronted with John telling them a message that they probably didn't want to hear. Repent. In other words, all that you've valued, all your ideals, all your attitudes are wrong and you've got to change. Because he was kind of trying to say that if you're going to meet with the Messiah, you need to be prepared to do that. You can't just drift in because it's such a a magnificent, awesome, cosmic event that you need to be prepared. And part of the attraction, and a big part of the attraction, if not the main attraction, that people flocked to hear John was that John the man was the message he proclaimed. He practiced what he preached, what he said he was. He wasn't standing in front of people and saying, you wicked people, you ought to change why he himself was wicked. He was doing his best to follow the ways of the Lord and calling others to follow God's way as well. But not only that, he was pointing to somebody beyond himself. John wasn't going home and saying, great, I had a crowd of 3,000 today. He was saying 3,000 people have heard about Jesus today. And that's the difference. He was a sign to somebody else. And he did his best to remain invisible while he ate his locust and dressed funnily and so on. His aim was to connect people with Jesus. And there's a, a strap line for a church, to connect people with Jesus. Now, if you've been thinking a little bit theologically, you'll think, well, okay, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Um, yes, you repent, and then you were baptized. Uh, uh, so as a symbolized way of, you know, you were washed clean, and you go back into life uh, a new person. And we'll hear a little bit more about that with Tina's baptism later. But then the question is, why did Jesus need to be baptised? Because, as we're told, Jesus was totally sinless. He had no need to repent whatsoever. And we don't really know the answer, but it's something to do with being obedient to God, but it also was a decisive moment. Jesus had grown up, he had worked in Nazareth for 30-ish years, give or take, and now for him the moment had come. John had gone out into the wilderness to proclaim 
And Jesus came to be baptised, and at that moment, Jesus became the public figure that he was. And his ministry, his three-year ministry on earth, began in earnest. And for Tina, it's going to be a decisive moment in her life, in her journey towards God and with God, when she is baptised later. But just if you can, imagine in your mind being there amongst the crowd, and there were crowds of people on the banks of the Jordan, and John stood there up to his waist in the water, and person after person is going in the water to be baptised. And this other man who you didn't recognise, you don't know, he doesn't stand out from the crowd, or he doesn't stand out from the crowd, goes in, but suddenly, when he comes up out of the water, the heavens split open, and this voice says, this is my son, with whom I'm well pleased. And then we're told also that Jesus saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove, the gentleness and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him again, a decisive moment for him to go out and be the Jesus that we know and read about. But imagine being there in that crowd at that moment in the history of humanity. I mean, we keep on, I don't know if you watch football, but you know, this is a historic moment. Uh, Portsmouth actually won. But, <laughs> but this is real historic moment we're talking about. And we just can't get our mind around the awesomeness. I mean, at Christmas we celebrated how Jesus was there with God creating the universe. And by creating the universe, it's everything that we see, loads of stuff like in quantum mechanics that we don't see all inside the atoms and the molecules and the protons and goodness knows what, that has taken thousands of years for scientists to uncover their meaning. And they still don't know, well, they don't undercover the meaning, they understand the laws. But all that created by this man who's coming up out of the water in a river in Israel. It was a mind-blowing event. And there must have been a huge sense of awe in the crowd. What is going on here? Not many people would have understood. It would have taken a little while and uh, a bit more time before they understood just exactly who Jesus is. And of course, in the way a lot of people will be upset as they discovered who he really was. But when Jesus came, he modelled to us, for us, the kind of life that God wants us to have. The kind of life that pleases God. That could be summed up as Jesus modelled how to be truly human. 
In other words, using the sort of DNA that God had planted in us rather than the DNA that we pick up from culture. I know that's scientifically incorrect, but don't worry. He came and revealed in human form what the invisible God, God the Father, is like. He was a living picture, a living window pointing to God. And it's quite interesting now because it's all, see, humility is coming into it. John is pointing to Jesus and Jesus is pointing to God. He came and proclaimed God's kingdom, a different way of life, a different way not only of being human as individuals, but being human in the true form in societies and in the world. He paid for the world's sin. He came that sins would be forgiven. And in a month or two, we'd be thinking of Jesus dying on the cross when he was nailed to the cross and he said those terrible words, really. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then God proved who he was, that he was his son, by raising him from the dead. All earth-shattering stuff. Miraculous stuff, breaking the laws of nature. And this is all the good news that we proclaim. John prepared people to recognise Jesus as their saviour by helping them to realise their need for a saviour. And we live in a society at the moment that apparently has little need of a saviour. They think this is it. And if you think that what we have as a society is it, then you've got a pretty low horizon of what hum- humankind could be like and what it could achieve if it worked together for the same thing. Most of us are not the people God created us to be. Some of us try, some see no need to bother, and others get further down the line than others. But when it comes to repentance, it's about recognising that we're not the people that God wants us to be. That somehow we're missing the mark of what God had planned for us when we were created. And it's somehow turning back to God and saying, I want to be a bit more like you want me to be. And as a consequence of that, perhaps changing our attitudes and our behaviour to learn and to follow him more nearly. But as we saw at Jesus' baptism, the real change comes 
when we use that gift that God gives everybody that turns to him. And I think it's one of the least used gifts that we have, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit, because when we tune into his promptings, somehow we can transform much more radically than we can by ourselves, and much more quickly. Imagine yourself as your spirit. So, you know, Tina's got Tina's spirit, I've got my spirit, and so on. And it's when the Holy Spirit comes and, as it were, talks at that deep inner being level that makes you, what makes Tina, Tina, and not Dennis? And what makes Dennis, Dennis, and not Tina? And so on. And when the Holy Spirit comes in at that level, right at the centre of you, right at the centre of your being, And he transforms that to make you back into that image-bearer of God. Do you remember at uh, creation, let us make mankind in our image, God said. And that's where it kind of happens. And that's where we do take on God's family likeness. God said that he was pleased with Jesus. And if you note... God said, I'm pleased with you, you're my son, before Jesus had done anything. Jesus had grown up. Uh, As far as we know, he probably helped out uh, in Joseph's carpenter shop. His ministry, if you like, hadn't started. And yet God was pleased with him at that point. And that shows us too that we don't have to work hard to earn God's pleasure. We don't have to work hard to earn God's love. It works the other way round. That as we know we're loved by God, then we wish to please him and we wish to grow more like him as we know him through his son. And again, we do that more effectively as the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So just make that connection. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was filled with this gentle but powerful Holy Spirit. If we are going to be a church or individuals that help people connect with Jesus then following Jesus' way, we too need that gentle, powerful Holy Spirit. And he'll work in us in different ways, in individual, unique ways, because each of us is unique. And slowly but surely, he'll shape us to be the people that God wants us to be, to be his image bearers wherever we go. And whether we're in the supermarket, in church, sat on a bus, walking down the high street, whatever it is, we will be the message that we proclaim. And the harsh thing is, you are the message of what you proclaim. But is it a message that truly points to God? Amen.
I think what we'll do is have a moment of quiet now, and I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come into your heart and perhaps show, show you if there's anything that you need to repent of, or it's a quiet space where you can say, um, Lord, I'd just like to know you better. Please guide me by your Spirit. Help me to be the person you want me to be rather than the person that I think you want me to be. So I'm not going to put words into your mouth. We just invite God to do that. Father, I just thank you for everybody here. And I know that you can see into the hearts of everybody. Whether they realise, accept that or not, you do. You know them, you know them inside out, probably better than themselves because you're not as biased as we are about ourselves. So Holy Spirit, just come now. Touch everybody with your love and with your wisdom. And point out to us anything that needs to be corrected, any word of encouragement that you want to give us. Dear Spirit, just don't leave us bereft, but speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Just have a moment of quiet. Just going to read the first four verses of Psalm 51. This was a psalm of David when he cried out to God, just along the lines that we've been doing now. And this was his prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. That was a prayer that King David, well, it was the beginning of a prayer that King David made after he had been caught committing adultery with Bathsheba.